Join me, if you would, in your Bibles to the last book, the last chapter of the last book, and the last two verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. On Wednesday, August 22nd, 2007, we began this study, and it is, it looks like tonight will be the night when we complete it. And someone is going to ask, where, where are we going next? And I can honestly say, I don't know. We may double up on the book of Isaiah. I don't know. So there, there's a few other places in the Bible to study. <laughs> we started August 22nd, 2007. Mm-hmm. Four years and three months. There's only two presidential uh, <laughs> terms. I'd like to uh, finish our study where we began. Before we look at these last two verses, in order for us to finish this book, we need to finish where we started. And if you keep your finger right there, turn with me to the first verse of this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I read somewhere the other day about this book, or with regard to a passage of scripture in this book, that so often is interpreted by modernists that this is atomic bombs and this is B-52 bombers and all that stuff. And the person made a comment that was so logical how would this comfort people in 1000 A.D.? And I said, as his conclusion was, it wouldn't. Why do we have to interpret it in our time when it was written to comfort people from the time this was written till today? So those verses that people want to interpret that way are faulty and they usually want to interpret it that Jesus Christ is working towards reigning. And that's a fallacy. He is reigning. He has always reigned. He has never given up his reign. He is a king of kings, and he ever reigneth. Now, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, this is, I hope, this was our premise as we went through this book. We intended for it to be. We wanted this verse to be our outline. We wanted everything else to fit under this verse. And that's the way it was intended. This is, as it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We wanted to fit everything under that premise, that statement, I should say. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we started this book... We notice that this word revelation, which is the word apocalypso, which is today is used as the apocalypse, that word is generally interpreted as a very tough time, war, the nuclear apocalypse, and all of those things. But when we looked at the definition of that word, we found out that that is not what it meant in its original form, and God never left us any other impression that it meant that today. In fact, that particular word, revelation, is mentioned 
one place that is uh, very interesting, and that's in the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and this is during a man's thoughts. He had been promised he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he comes into the temple one day, and there is a babe in the arms of his mother, and he lifts that babe up. We know who it is. He knows who it is. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been virgin born. He is the one that has been set aside from eternity to be the substitute for his people. And this man comes in, picks up this baby, and has these comments with regard to it. And in the midst of these comments is this word, apocalypse. And it doesn't mean there's going to be a war. It doesn't mean that there's going to be trouble. It means it's light. It's enlightenment. That's what the word means. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It means to lay bare or make naked or to disclose of truth. Instruction, manifestation, appearance, disclosure. That's what this word means. This is the disclosure of Jesus Christ. This is the opening up of Jesus Christ. This is the teaching about Jesus Christ. And as we go through that book, we find he is revealed in so many aspects. The Lamb of God. My goodness, what a wonderful comment. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is described as the Lamb. Well, let's look here in Luke chapter 2 for just a moment, beginning with verse 25. It says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, there's only one way a person becomes just and devout. That is, he is born again. He didn't get there by self-righteousness or righteous acts. He got there because of the new birth, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now notice that word Lord's. It is possessive, an apostrophe S. It is the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten. That word lighten is the same word we find in Revelation 1.1, the word revelation. A light to lighten. The Gentiles were in a dark place. God sent his light to lighten them. He sent his Christ to lighten them. He is the message. The gospel message was the light to lighten them. And the gospel message is Jesus Christ. A light to lighten the Gentiles. Now you can't find in any way that that word means there trouble or war or a nuclear holocaust. You can only find in that verse, like in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, that this is God opening up his son to his people. Now that's a joy. That's what God does for his people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So Simeon had been promised this and he makes this statement about the Lord Jesus. He is a light to lighten. Now this word is again used and it's used several times in the New Testament. But in 
Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12, it uses this word in a different way. And the Apostle Paul is sharing what God did for him. God will reveal his son to his people. It's a revelation. It is not knowing Christ, and by the revelation that God gives, he allows us to know him. He is a stranger, and he introduces us to him. He is someone we could not recognize, and by his grace, we recognize him as the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. He's doing this by inspiration. He is sharing with them, the way you're headed is an error. Let's pull back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are following a gospel that is not the gospel. It is another gospel. But here in Galatians chapter 1, let's begin reading with verse 11. It says, But I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not after men. It was not after man. This is not man's gospel. Man's gospel is, I'll be saved by my works. The Pharisees came... Uh, following Paul, it appears, and then came to Jerusalem and said, you cannot be saved unless you follow the law. That's man's gospel. The gospel that Saul of Tarsus was affected by was not after man. He had spent his life in the gospel after man. This is the gospel not after man. And he goes on to tell us here, Neither, for neither received it, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's the same word that we find in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how he was taught the gospel. Now, a preacher, Stephen, and Paul is going to share with us that he was there consenting to the death of Stephen, but Stephen preached a message. Stephen preached the gospel, and it was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that God used on Stephen. A preacher preached it, that's true, but a preacher can't reveal it. A preacher can declare it. You can declare the gospel to your friends, but you can't reveal it. It is, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that makes all the difference in the world. When God reveals his Son, when God reveals the gospel, his son, to people. So this word is the same word. Now, secondly, when we we tried to keep the book of Revelation under this heading, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10, would you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 19. We tried to keep our study between these, well, I shouldn't even say between these because they're in a straight line. You can't keep them between these fences, because these this is a fence. It's a single, well, the Lord termed it this way, a narrow path. There's no borders. It's a narrow path. You don't have any wiggle worm room on this. It is a narrow path. It's Christ and Christ alone, or it is the broad way that leadeth to destruction. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, this is recorded Chapter 19, and I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, 
This just shares with us what's mentioned throughout the scriptures, and particularly in the book of Acts chapter 10. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 10. As we look at this, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and also Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In Acts chapter 10, if you want to know what the Old Testament's about, here it is, summed up. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. And we tried to keep the book of Revelation in this line. The revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is the declaration of the prophets and preachers. And that's what we have in this book. It's not about scary things. That's what people have turned it into. I've had people tell me here in the Dalles, I cannot read the book of Revelation. And I say, why? He said, it's so scary. Well, the only reason that you would think it was scary is someone tried to make it scary for you. If you see it as Jesus Christ and in his glory, it is not something to be feared. Now, we may not read it every day, but it is not scary. It is Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father, our Savior. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Acts chapter 10 and there in verse 43, we have these words. To him gave all the prophets witness. Now, that's what that word means, or that uh, phrase means. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every bit of the Old Testament was the declaration. To him gave all the prophets witness. Do you want to know what Exodus is about? That person, Moses, was used to write about Christ. Now, he did it through symbols, he did it through shadows, he did it through pictures, he did it through the activity that those Jews were requested to go through. The sacrifice of those lambs, the sacrifice of those oxen, the sacrifice of those goats, it was telling those people, there needs to be a substitute, but it's not by the blood of bulls and goats, because we're going to have to do this tomorrow. That's one beautiful thing, well, among many beautiful things about the sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Lord, the substitution of the Lord, is he did it once for all time. He sat down. There the work was never finished, but they spoke of Christ. The ark spoke of Christ. The door in the ark spoke of Christ. The boards in the ark, the tabernacle, the very subject matter of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 speaks of Christ. So it's our benefit to look at it, and it's for our glory to see him. And that's our, our business is seeing Christ in the Old Testament and as the Holy Spirit reveals it. So the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is a general testimony concerning Jesus, for he is the scope and design of the whole scriptures. Uh, to him gave all the prophets witness. Now take Jesus, his grace, and spirit and message out of the Bible, and you have what was left when that king took his penknife. You have nothing left. It's no wonder people don't use it in the pulpits. They have nothing in it. It's no wonder that they read one verse and depart therefrom. They have no reason. It's not, it's not valuable. It's not important. There's no Christ. Preachers in schools are teaching their in Bible schools are teaching their students, you can't find Christ in the Old Testament. Well, when that's being taught, 
That's what they believe, and that's what the students are going to believe. But once the Lord reveals himself to his people, you find out that's a rich gold mine, and we shouldn't even have a marker between the Old and the New Testament. I had people tell me when I was in Bible school, there was 400 silent years. Boy, 400 silent years between the Old and the New Testament. What are we going to say about the time between the writing of Revelation and today? Is that silent years? I think not. God saved his people all the way through there, just like he did from Malachi to Matthew. It wasn't silent years. He just he chose not to have anything written, but he's still working out his purpose of grace in the hearts of his people, and that's the only reason we have the gospel today. People will say, the gospel died out, we had to reestablish it. That's not true. Jesus Christ himself said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I'm not going to say that the gospel was in every place all the time, but I'll say it was in some place because it got to us. All right. Now, in this letter, the seven churches, uh, it was a letter to seven churches, and they're listed, and we just happen to be the beneficiary of it. The Lord is declared the Lamb, the King, the conqueror, the tree, the light, the temple, the river of life, one who has chained Satan. He's the spirit of prophecy. He's one in the midst of the candlesticks. And he said, let me tell you what the candlesticks are. They're the seven churches. That, he's in the midst of the candlesticks. I believe firmly that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What? That's what he said. Thank God that we can have three or four or five, but two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. So this, this book continues to testify of the glory of the Lord. He has mentioned in such, such endearing terms to the church. He is my lamb and he's my light. He is my river, clear as crystal. He is my temple. He is he's everything. In fact, uh, I was uh, was listening to a preacher back there. I went to visit Mike Walker, who is uh, a pastor up in uh, northern North Carolina. <laughs> North Wilkesboro, there we go. North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And he said he had visited with a preacher that went to visit Henry Mahan one time, and he was going to help him out. Now, this is a real young preacher, and he went there, and he was going to help Brother Mahan out. And he just, he sat down in Brother Mahan's office, and he's just a blah, 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 blah. And Brother Henry is just as quiet, just let him go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And finally, Brother Henry said, would you look at Colossians 3? Would you turn there with me? Because this sums up the book of Revelation. And I hope this is... Yes, Colossians 3.11. This guy's finished running off at the mouth, and he's about ready to leave, and Brother Henry says, would you look up one verse with me? And he told him, Colossians 3.11. And the guy started reading with th uh, 3 verse 1. He says, no, 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 no. Would you read 
Colossians 3.11. And particularly these words, but Christ is all. And the guy told this friend up in North Wilkesboro, I went home and was taken down several notches. I found out I didn't know anything. And this one man, by saying three words, but Christ is all. Start there, you can't go wrong. Forget everything else, start there. You can't go wrong. Christ is all. He's all our light. He's all our water. He's all our bread. He's all our hope. He is all our lamb. He, he's all our substitute. Christ is all. All right. Now let's look at the last two verses here of this wonderful book, this wonderful chapter. And these are comments. They're closing comments. To this book. Chapter 22 verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It was the Lord through his spirit of inspiration that gave John this letter to be sent as comfort to seven churches in tremendous persecution. Now we read those parts to the seven churches and we find that the Lord corrected or he had some words of correction. But we must agree that if the master would come to us as he does through his word, with words of correction, that means he really is interested and loves his people. And he wants them taken from here to Christ is all. We don't look at him beating on those churches. We look at the light, lightening them. We see the grace of God gracious to them. And he does that for his people through all ages. He has been a light to give them light and to bring them out of a dark place. He has been grace to teach them graciousness and bring them out of a dark place. So here we have that as the Lord sent to these seven churches, he sent to them comfort and he testified to them of this comfort. I am the comfort. What, what do we read over in the book of Isaiah 9? He is the comforter. He is the one that comforts. And that's the ministry that he instructed the church to have. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. And he does that by saying, the warfare is over. All your sins are forgiven. Brother Rupert and I were in his study, and I says, Brother Rupert, does God punish his people for sin? And Rupert sat there and looked at me, and he says, absolutely not. That's what I agree with. He does not punish his people for sin. Jesus Christ was punished for our sin. Now, he will test us, and he will try us, 
There's no question about it. But it is not out of punishment. It is out of love and graciousness that he does that. We are brought to him, closer to him, through those experiences. And nobody likes it until we're over it. (laughs) That's the way it is. Nobody likes it until we're over it. God is gracious. He's done that to Job. He did that. Miriam, she had leprosy. (laughs) Had to stay out of the camp for how long? She was not being punished for her sin. She was being instructed. Punishment for sin fell on Jesus Christ. All right, now this word testify, testifieth. The base word of that is the word we have for martyr. In fact, it's a transliteration. The Greek word is martyr. It means a witness, and we have used it. And Paul, well, Paul used the word testimony or martyr, but we have turned it into anybody that gives their life for Christ. We call him a martyr. Well, the word really means one who testifies, one who gives testimony of. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? Jesus Christ was never a martyr in the sense of modern martyrs. He was not a martyr for our sin. He was the sacrifice for our sin. Now, there have been people that have been martyred, but the word means witness. Stephen was a witness, and he was such a witness that he would not give up his witness. He would rather die than to go against the witness that was in him. In the book of Acts, chapter 22, the Apostle Paul uses that word, and it's been translated here in our uh, Bibles to this. Acts chapter 22, and he's making a confession. He's making a confession here. He's sharing with us what happened, how the Lord used this in his life. Stephen was a witness. Jesus Christ is a witness in this book. Acts chapter 22, verse 20. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. When your martyr Stephen was slain. Now, Stephen was a, gave a testimony, and he gave a good testimony. And he was not going to go back on his testimony. And therefore, they slew him. And Paul, Saul of Tarsus consented to it. Now, he didn't actually take up the stone, but he sure sent his dogs after him. They're the ones that did it. He was. He said, I am the boss. Put your clothes here and I'll watch them. And that's what happened there. And the same word is used in Acts chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 1. The Lord Jesus is the witness. And by it, he makes witnesses. We have nothing to witness to if we don't have him. We have nothing to say if we don't have him. There's nothing we can say about the Bible unless we have him. You cannot share what you don't have. And here, the disciples had something because he had witness to them. He is the only one that can bring the witness of God to our hearts. He's the only one that can reveal himself to us. We cannot, we can preach about it, we can talk about it, but he's the only one that can eventually cause us to say, I know what you're talking about. You've revealed it. Acts chapter 1, and there in verse 22, the scriptures share 
beginning with the baptism. Now, someone's going to have to take Judas's place, and this is the requirement. Beginning from the baptism of John until that same day, what does that mean, baptism of John? It means they witnessed Jesus' baptism. They heard the voice from heaven. They saw this dove come down and testify. Doesn't mean that there was some speciality about this baptism. It's who's being baptized. That's important. And what? He was declaring his resurrection in his own baptism, but he also, the person that was going to be a witness, was going to have to see him after he was raised from the dead. Goes on to tell us that beginning with from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. He witnessed it in picture, and he witnessed it in reality. That was a witness. And this is what Jesus Christ, Christ witnessed and said, Surely I come quickly. He asserts the speediness of his coming. Jesus Christ said, I come quickly. Now, comparatively speaking, it says a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. He's not messing with time. We are. I was reading the other day, the old, when did we start wearing these? You know when we started wearing these? When the railroads came. Before that, la, 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 la. <laughs> we were all on Indian time. <laughs> we could care less. Sun's overhead. Okay, let's have lunch. Sun went down. Let's have supper. Sun came up. Let's have breakfast. But it wasn't until the railroads we started wearing these, and we had to keep. Now, I just said that to say this. God is not kept by that. He could care less about the railroads except how he moved people to hear the gospel. That's the reason the railroads got there. It's not because we needed the trade. It's some way God, everything, everything is for the glory of God and for the good of his church. The railroad was too, carried preachers and carried people who were going to be his found sheep. All right? He asserts the speediness of his coming by what he said, and he expresses the certainty of it. There were people in churches in the times of John that said, oh, it's been a long time. He's not coming. And John wrote and says, don't fall into that trap. He is coming. Paul wrote about it. People were saying, you know, it's been 20 years now, and he hasn't come. Almost the same thing that Eve had when she had her son. This is it. 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years. But Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. There is only one thing that prevents the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ right now. And that's what he's saying. Nothing is preventing it except I have not got all my children in. Can you imagine a father or a mother not going and claiming all their children? That's what he's about. It tells us that he will lose none, and he's going to keep that promise. I shall lose none of them. And he says, the long-suffering of the Lord means salvation. I'm going to detain until they're all brought in. And that's his promise. There will be no empty seats in glory. There will not be an extra one, but there will be no empty ones. 
he will have them all full. They all have their names on them, on the chairs. <laughs> I'm using that figuratively. But he is waiting until the last one. He knows the day and he knows the hour that that last one will hear the gospel and his Holy Spirit will convert them. But until that day, it may be today and it may be in a thousand years. We do not know. But it will be for his glory. The last one will be saved. Behold, I come quickly. Be assured of it and be knowledgeable that he asserts his speediness in getting it done. He never mentions anything that has to happen except that one thing. The sheep have to be saved. That's it. No buildings, nothing. Then he uses the word amen. In a lot of the Bible, that word amen is translated verily. There in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and verse, uh, or 22 and verse 20, surely I come quickly, amen. At the beginning of a discourse, we find surely or truly or of a truth. And that's what we find, the Lord Jesus using that word. And at the end, we find the word amen used, so it is, or so be it, or may it be fulfilled. John said amen, so be it. I agree with it. And I find God's people agree when he says, I come quickly. And his people say, Amen. Amen. So be it. When it's time. I like what Donnie Bell says. And when I left back there yesterday, I says, when it's time, we'll meet again. When it's time. So be it. And then in verse 21, this is a benediction. This is a giving a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. One of the commentators said, this would have been much better if it said, be with all the saints. He never tried to include anybody but the saints. And that's what this book is about. And that's what this Bible is about. It was written to saints. That will help us understand many of what is called difficult passages if we just remember that it was written to saints, it was not written to the goats. It was not written to those on the left-hand side. It was written to those on the right-hand side. It was written to his saints. It was written to lost sheep. And yet, it is written to saints. The final benediction, or giving a blessing. Now, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, you've probably heard this benediction. Moses said this. I'd like to go over there. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Here is a benediction, a blessing. And, Mose, and the Lord, verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, on this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And then finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. A benediction, final blessing. 
Blessed are those who read this book. Blessed are those who see Christ in this book. A final benediction, a final blessing is given. And here's another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 14. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So be it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all you saints.